Hello, podcast listeners. I hope you're having a wonderful day as much as I am currently having right now. This podcast might be a little bit different today, not in format style, but it might seem a little bit more political in some areas that we're talking about. It just happens to be that the articles that I came across were the most interesting to be able to talk about today. And granted, I try not to be as political in this podcast, but it does have to do with market stuff. And so it makes me want, it makes me wonder about some things going with the market going forward. Okay. First things first, we're going to be talking about how Nightscope is issuing a public safety initiative challenge for mayors across the United States of America. Then we're going to be talking about the Frontier, JetBlue, and Spirit airline. There's a lot of news coming from that area today. In fact, there was some news that came out in this today this morning, and then there was some news that came out right before I started getting ready to record this podcast, and we need to be able to talk about what's happening in that regard. And finally... And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this towards the end of the podcast. We're going to be talking about why big tech is pouring money into carbon removal. With that being said, guys, as I always say at the beginning of each podcast, I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about in this podcast is for information purposes only. You need to go talk to your own professional advisor before making any financial decisions. I cannot give you financial advice in any way, shape, or form because I'm not a financial advisor. I do have some positions in some companies that I will be talking about today, but they're very small positions. And like I say, I can't give you financial advice. This podcast is for information purposes and for entertainment purposes only. With that being said, guys, let's begin today's podcast. Nightscope issues public safety initiative challenge to mayors across USA. Full disclosure, I have a small position in Nightscope and I cannot give you financial advice if you should invest in Nightscope. From Mountain View, California, a developer of advanced physical security technologies founded on enhancing U.S. security operations today issued a challenge to every single mayor in the United States to work hand-in-hand with Nightscope to establish a public-slash-private partnership to initiative public safety. The first role of government is to protect its citizens. Every American has the fundamental and basic right to live in a safe country, in the safe communities, and the right should be held exclusively by a tiny portion of, a, of the population. Correction. And the right should not be held by exclusively by a tiny portion of the population. It should be enjoyed nationwide. Today's top 10 cities have three characteristics, according to Nightscope. One, populations in the 40,000 range. Two, a median income in the six figure. Three, likely to be somewhere in the Northeast. Now, I have my theories why it's in the Northeast, but we'll get into that in a second. Nightscope's challenge is to jointly drive city officials, community leaders, local business, schools, and the governor's state and the federal officials, as well as the insurance companies and law enforcement authorities to develop an overreaching plan to make it material positive difference in the safety of its citizens from a holistic city-wide view. Nightscope states that it is prepared to take on the following steps to proceed a positive, successful improvement in public safety for the community. One, jointly develop a comprehensive public safety and security architect for the participating city. Two, dedicate a Nightscope Development Center or KDC in the city, creating new high-tech jobs for the community. Three, establish a Nightscope Public Safety Fusion Center to properly interrogate all the new capabilities across the city. Three, no, I mean, correction, four, create a robotics club for the local schools with a direct access to the Nightscope team. And five, establish a cross-section of citizens to rally together in support of the effort. The initiative is to focus on cities that could properly utilize more than 100 autonomous security robots, or ASRs, as a starting point. Those interested should submit their information at nightscope.com innovate. Now, I said earlier I have a theory about why the Northeast is one of the safest areas. 
I think it's because mostly in the Northeast, there's a lot of money in that area. But at the same time, it's pretty cold up there for most of the year. And it's pretty dense population as well. So you're not going to have a whole lot of crime happening in those areas. But I also want to know too, who's going to be the first city and the first mayor to take on this challenge? Because in a way, like we, we hear this a lot from politicians across the United States, whether it's in the federal government, in your local governments, in your state governments, it doesn't matter what type of government it is. They always say, I'm for the people and I'm for the children. Now we get to see who really believes in that statement based off who actually goes for the support as the mayor. Okay. Now, whether mayors know about this challenge or not is a whole other story. But it does make me wonder who's going to start feeling this and how it could potentially affect future voting trends in the United States, along with how the market reacts based off this. Because think about it, okay? If Nightscope does get one city to say, yeah, we're going to do this, that's potentially 100 new robots under contract. That does also terrify me because if the plan doesn't work out, Nightscope is going to lose 100 robots. But if it does work out... Imagine the contracts that will start coming in for Nightscope citywide for these mayors. Start looking out, politicians. Your careers might be in jeopardy a little bit if you don't react on this. Your words might mean nothing to the people soon. At least Nightscope's trying to do something right now. So it's interesting that this challenge has come out. So something to keep an eye out for people because this could be huge going forward. And it, the day that this is announced, Nightscope stock could just jump like crazy that day. On to the next article now from the airline industries. Fight for Spirit Airlines goes down to the wire with competing bids from Frontier and JetBlue. From CNBC being reported this morning, the most heated airline battle in recent years was set to come at a head on Thursday when Spirit Airlines shareholders were scheduled to vote on a proposed tie-up and fellow discount carrier Frontier Airlines with rival suitor JetBlue Airways circles the increasingly sweetened takeover bids. But with hours to go, Spirit delayed the vote until July 8th, extending the most heated battle for the U.S. airline in years that could further drive up the price for the budget airline. Spirit has reportedly rebuffed Sweeten all-cash bids from JetBlue, arguing that such a takeover wouldn't pass mustard with regulators and has stuck with its plan to contribute to the also sweetened cash and stock deal to combine with Frontier, first announced in February. JetBlue surprised all-cash bid in April set off a flight fight over Spirit that last month turned hostile. If Spirit shareholders end up voting in favor of the tie-up with Frontier, it would put the carriers on the path of creating a budget airline behemoth. The two carriers share a similar business model based on low fares and fees for almost everything set up from seat selection to carry-on bags. If shareholders vote against the deal, it opens the door for a takeover by JetBlue, which would also retrofit Spirit's yellow planes to fit like JetBlue's, including cabins and seat, back screens, and more legroom. Quote, JetBlue does not have many options to achieve a step changing in growth, and that explains why JetBlue has pursued this deal so doggly, doggly, said Samuel Engel, aviation consultant at IFC. Now, I don't firmly believe that 100%, okay? I believe that even if Frontier does win this bid, they're going to have regulator issues as well, okay? I'm sorry. Just because JetBlue wants to buy it means there's probably people within Spirit that don't want this merger to happen. They wanted to go with Frontier, Okay. But what makes things more interesting is what came out from CNBC just a few minutes ago before we started this podcast, okay? It says here, 
Spirit delays shareholder vote on merger hours before meeting to continue deal talks with Frontier and JetBlue. What is going on? Spirit Airlines on Wednesdays delay shareholder vote on a proposed merger on Frontier until July 8th, hours before the meeting scheduled for Thursday. So it can further discuss options with Frontier and rival suitor JetBlue. In its second time, Spirit has delayed a vote on its planned combination with Frontier and extends the most continuous battle for U.S. airlines in years. So here's the thing that gets interesting. Spirit originally scheduled Thursday's vote for June 10th, but had delayed for that same reason. Both Frontier and JetBlue have upped their offers in a week before the scheduled vote approach. Spirit, quote, Spirit would not have postponed tomorrow's meeting. They're postponing it now. If they felt like they had the votes, said Henry um, Hardovit, a travel industry consultant and president of Atmosphere Research Group. Spirit didn't comment on whether that is the case. Quote, we complain, well, no, sorry, we com- we compliment the Spirit Board for listening to their shareholders who clearly were not supportive of frontier transactions and adjoring the special meeting, JetBlue CEO Robin Hayes said in a statement later Wednesday. Continuing on with the quote, it's clear that Spirit shareholders have now handed the Spirit Board an undeniable mandate to reach an agreement with JetBlue. The shareholders are speaking and it seems like Spirit is freaking out. Maybe JetBlue is right in this regard, that there was some insider information from Spirit and Frontier. Because if I remember correctly, we talked about this in the past, that there was someone, whether it was on the Spirit side or the Frontier side, that had a special interest in the making. And it seems like the shareholders are speaking and these people are panicking. Which is weird to think. Are they going to listen to their shareholders in the end? What's going to happen? This is getting insane right now. Continuing on with the quote, quote, uh, like we just read, it's like the end of a soap opera episode, Harvitt added. Frontier and Spirits first announced their intended merger in February and April. In April, JetBlue made an all-cash surprise bid for Spirit. But Spirit's board had repeatedly rejected JetBlue's offer, arguing a JetBlue takeover wouldn't pass muster with regulators. They keep saying that, but wouldn't it be the same thing for Frontier? Why aren't they mentioning that with Frontier? I don't get this, guys. It's it's driving me a little bit insane right now. Continuing on, either combination would create the United States' fifth largest carrier. So if, if, if it doesn't matter, why are they rejecting us? There has to be potential shareholder interest that are upper management. This needs to be looked into more. And I hope there are some reporters out there who are looking more into this because this is getting a little bit more interesting every single day. Okay, finishing on with the article that came out about the postponed vote, JetBlue has fired back at Spirit saying it did not negotiate in good faith, setting off a war of words between the airlines as they competed for shareholder support ahead of the vote. Frontier didn't immediately comment about the proposal vote. Spirit shares were up 2% after hours trading while Frontier was up more than 1% and JetBlue was down 1%. Oh, there's got to be some special interest happening in this merger because... Like we just read in here, it says here, we compliment the spirit board for listening to their shareholders who clearly were not supportive of the frontier transaction and adjoining the special meeting. Seems like a lot of the shareholders for spirit voted to merge with JetBlue. So will they listen to them? They kind of have to in the end. Shareholders kind of control companies in this regard. So it's going to be interesting. Or maybe Frontier has to now get into more debt to get into a sweeter deal, JetBlue. I don't know how this is going to end. Sounds like right now JetBlue is going to win. But it sounds like Spirit doesn't want JetBlue to win. So we're going to keep an eye on that. Hopefully there will become more articles coming forward about it soon. 
Now to get in the last article, which we're going to spend the bulk of our time in this podcast talking about from the climate side of things, why big tech is pouring money into carbon removal. Now, I've mentioned this to some people in the past, and a lot of people have told me like, oh, we need to stop using oil because it the CO2 affects our atmosphere and it's destroying the planet and all that stuff. And I've told them in the past that Chevron, for instance, if I remember correctly, Chevron had invested in a company that was sucking CO2 out of the air. And I always find it interesting that when I tell these people these things, they literally sit there and they're like, I didn't know that was happening. And my response to them is, well, you'd have to look for it to find it. And this is what this article kind of gets into is a little bit more about some of these companies that are actually pulling CO2 out of the air and what they're doing with it. The article says from CNBC, the market for carbon removal is expanding rapidly and private money is pouring in from tech companies seeking to help the early stage carbon capture and storage startups scale up and bring costs down. The wave of funding comes as reports from the Intergovernmental Governmental Panel of Climate Change doubled down on the need to remove billions of tons of carbon dioxide from the air, emphasizing the emissions reductions efforts alone are not be enough. Oh, so they're admitting it won't be enough. They got to now suck it, the CO2 out of the air. Quote, we do, we have to do emissions reductions at a massive scale, at a massive pace period, full stop. Unfortunately, because we're done with that, we've done such a poor job with that today, we are now going to have to use carbon removal, said Nan Ranshohoff, head of climate at Stripe, an online payments company that's invested millions into carbon removal technology. Carbon removal amounts to a process of storing carbon dioxide that's already been emitted. The difference been than capturing emissions from a smokestack or recycling carbon to make temporary products like carbonated beverages, plastics, or fuels. Planting trees is one way to go about it, but experts say that enough to ad- that that's a not enough to address climate change. I'm glad CNBC is finally admitting it, because let me read that again, guys. Planting trees is one way to go about it, but experts say that's not enough to address climate change. I'm so glad they're admitting it. Leaves help was taking CO2 out of the air. Remember that, people. Continuing on with the article. In April, Stripe Stripe teamed up with Alphabet, Meta, Shopify, and um, McKinsey to launch an initiative called Frontier, which plans to purchase $925 million worth of carbon removal by 2030 from nascent carbon removal companies in an effort to accelerate research and development efforts to lower costs. The technical approaches up to permanent carbon removal vary widely from pulling CO2 out of the air with a giant fan and injecting it into the rocks to alternating the pH of the ocean so that it can absorb more carbon from the atmosphere. But no matter the methodology, some subset of the technologies will likely need to scale up quickly to keep global warming below 1.5 or even 2 degrees Celsius in the years ahead. Quote, these scales are going to have to be built out of almost deftly comprehension, said Eric Toon, technology lead at Breakthrough Energy Ventures, which have made numerous investments into the carbon removal space. To capture something like 30% of emissions in 2050, you're talking about building an industry that has that's three times, five times larger than the global petrochemical industry today. Now, this article goes into different ways of what some of these companies are doing. We won't be able to cover all of them, but we're going to cover some of them. Okay. For first off, different storage methods. Direct air capture companies like Climeworks and Carbon Energy are some of the best known players in the space. They use giant fans along with complex chemical process or filters to take CO2 out of the air. But until recently, there have been no incentive to simply 
bury the carbon so they have been to sell it into various markets. Carbon engineering, for example, has sold its captured CO2 to oil and gas companies and use it for enhanced oil recovery, in which carbon dioxide is injected underground in order to extract more oil from the petroleum wells. The carbon is subsquetsered, but since the process precedes more oil to be burned, it almost never leads to negative emissions and therefore not considered carbon removal. Then there's Climate Works. Swiss company Climeworks initially went to market by selling captured CO2 to greenhouses in Switzerland, where it's used to grow vegetables and to beverage companies. They're selling CO2 to grow vegetables, guys, which means plants love CO2, okay? And to gr- and the beverage companies, which make it which use it to make carbonated drinks. But in 2017, Climate Works began working with Crab Fix, an Icelandic company that sesquetsers CO2 permanently by dissolving captured carbon in water and injecting it into the basalt rock formations. Quote, the CO2 is injected into these rocks and then it is mineralized. That literally means the CO2 within two years after injection is turned into stone. So it is solidified a kilometer underneath and therefore is absolutely permanently stored for the next hundreds of millions of years, said said Jane, ClimateWorks co-founder and co-CEO. Partly rounded by Stripe, ClimateWorks launched a new direct air capture and storage plant in Iceland last year and recently raised $650 million, the biggest funding round in the history of the carbon removal industry. Then there's Charm Industrial. Charm Industrial believes that it has found a cheaper means of carbon removal by sourcing crop residue like stalks, stems, and leaves from farms. Those biomasses have already captured carbon from the atmosphere. Then Charm converts it to bio-oil, which is stored underground. Quote, the conversion process from biomass to bio-oil is called pyrolysis or fast pyrolysis. And it's where the first grind down the biomass into really, really tiny pieces so that they can push heat through it really quickly, explained Charm CEO Peter Renhart. Quote, and we heat it up from room temperature to 500 degrees centigrade in less than a few seconds. And then, and that really fast heating rate vaporizes the cellulose and the biomass, and then we condense it back into a liquid. At the last step, the bio oils injected deep underground where it solidifies. Stripe and Charm's first customers are now others like Microsoft and Shopify have also bought in. It's funny that Shopify is into that because Shopify is mostly like, it's like Amazon for Canada or something, if I'm not mistaken, or it's it's mostly a website online to sell stuff. Another company that the CNBC is talking about, Carbon Cure. Canadian company Carbon Cure has a different approach. Unlike Climeworks and Charm, Carbon Cure is putting carbon dioxide and using it by injecting it into concrete mixes. Interesting. Concrete, okay? Which permanently stores the CO2 and has the added benefit of making the concrete stronger. Interesting. Quote, the CO2 is injected into concrete and it's, and it's reacting with the cement as it begins batched. And a chemical reaction occurs where the calcium reacts with the CO2 to form a mineral. Robin Niven, Carbon Cure founder and CEO, explained why that reaction matters. It's actually increasing the strength of the concrete. That increased strength means concrete producers can use less cement in their mixes and helps make the industrial process greener. Stripe also has its first customer, and now others like Shopify, Mapbox, and Zendesk are on board. 
Right now, Carbon Cure's concrete pr producer partner source CO2 from large industrial facilities like ethanol plants and refineries where it captured from smokestacks. That means Carbon Cure isn't removing CO2, but rather it's preventing new emissions from nearly 600 plants worldwide. But the company is starting to get involved with carbon removal from a Department of Energy Fund partnership with California-based direct air capture company Carbon Capture. And I think this is another one we have time to talk about. Plantary Technologies. Another emerging method of permanent carbon removal lies on the ocean-based capture and storage. Canadian-based planetary technologies base is technology on the fact that a relative concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere and the ocean is always in balance and thus has risen over time, making the ocean more acidic. But if we decrease the acidity of the ocean by lowering CO2 content, the ocean would be more uh, would have more capacity to absorb additional CO2 from the air. That's what planetary is working towards by adding an antacid to seawater. Quote, so by just simply adding our antacid into seawater, we're neutralizing this acidic CO2. We're tuning it into bio, bicarbonate or baking soda. And then that stays in seawater for 100,000 years, said Mike Kelland, CEO of Planetary Technologies. And continuing on with this quote, and that means it is because the concentration in the ocean of CO2 is lower now. More CO2 will invade from the atmosphere to balance out the concentration. Planetary plans to open ocean trials this year by adding its antacid to wastewater treatment facilities, which already have permits and allow them to clean up the water before it goes into the ocean. Shopify is Planetary's first customer. They mentioned Shopify a lot. I don't know how Shopify is getting involved with this. And do we have time for one? Yeah, we have time for read the last article. So good. We were able to cover the whole article like I wanted to because... I'm getting tired of this argument about how the world's dying because of too much CO2 in the air when there's companies who are actually making an effort to do something about it. Last thing, the business model gap, carbon market needs. It's an exciting time to be working in this space, but early stage purchases by tech companies and others will go so far. Quote, there's no doubt that it's going to, correction, quote, there's no doubt that if we're going to do this and try to address climate change, eventually we're going to have to just capture the CO2 and pump it into the ground and store it for eternity. And do that, we need carbon markets, said Tune of Breakthrough Energy. About 40 countries and over 20 cities and states and provinces already do have some form of carbon pricing, though in many cases, those prices would be too low to incentivize carbon removal, even if these companies were operating at scale. Many industrial leaders hope the U.S. will implement a federal carbon pricing sh uh, scheme as well and increase the current tax credit for carbon storage, which is about 35 per ton of geological sequestered CO2 and about $22 for CO2 that is used in a product like concrete. Carbon removal doesn't generally enjoy bipartisan support in Washington, and the Department of Energy recently launched a $3.5 billion program to develop four direct air capture hubs across the U.S., with each one intended to permanently remove over 1 million tons of carbon dioxide per year. Quote, I think the that government management of market and prices carbon in a way that results in its removal happens when people decide it's cheaper to deal with CO2 than it is to deal with the consequences of CO2. So tune. And there's an absolute growing awareness of exactly what the costs of the carbon are. You know, there's a guy on Tim Pool's uh, podcast. His name's Ian. And Ian mentions this a lot sometimes. Okay. And Ian always says that there's companies who are taking the CO2 out of the air 
and being able to, I, I guess, do something with graphite. I, 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 I'm sorry, Ian, if I'm misquoting you on this. I really am. I mean, I listen to Tim Pool a lot and his live episodes sometimes. And so it's, it's good to always hear some news what's happening. But Ian did say something the other day that did catch my attention. I, if I remember correctly, it, it was either Ian or I heard it from someone else. I guess right now I'm going to give it to the Ian from Tim Pool's show. He said that eventually we'd be competing with trees for CO2 if they're making CO2 this new resource that we're going to need. Okay. At the end of the day, it's exciting to see that there's companies that are actually addressing the CO2 issue. But if we have to compete with trees for CO2 because trees love CO2, that could potentially be an issue one day. But it also gives me an idea too to think about. They make this giant push saying the world is going to struggle with too much CO2 in the air. And we just spent the last about 10 minutes or so talking about what companies are doing with the CO2. Seems like politicians in Washington need to start letting the public know that there are already plans in place. There's companies that want to make money. And so they're going to figure out ways to suck out CO2 out of the air. And whether it's turning into new oils, putting into concrete... Maybe making some baking soda powder that's going to be helping the ocean for 100,000 years. There's always a company out there, guys, that's willing to do its thing. But like Ian says on Tim Pool's podcast, I don't want to be competing with trees for CO2, if that also means that at the end of the day. But it also means there's also a new market in the making. And it's going to be carbon capturing market in the making. And it's just going to make things more interesting with the market. It also makes me wonder how much more oil companies could be picked on because if oil companies are the bad guys now, what potentially is going to happen if we have to start competing with trees for the CO2 that they always talk about? Does that mean these companies will exist? Does it also mean maybe we drill for more oil? I don't know. Just some things to think about guys, because there's companies out there that are finding solutions. I mean, you don't always have to just scream and shout for crying out loud. The market's always going to find the way. In fact, the market tends to move a lot faster than any politician in Washington or any politician in general. So yeah, for those of you who are wanting to know what's happening in the carbon world, this is pretty exciting stuff to read into. A whole new sector is probably going to get made out of this. But I also wouldn't be surprised too if oil companies actually started buying out these carbon companies just to offset their carbon emissions that they're releasing to the world. But it's still going to be interesting to see this new technology get formed. So with that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I ask that if you did like it, that you please like and subscribe to this podcast so that we can be able to keep sharing this information out there and be able to talk about the markets and how things could be changing within the markets based off government policy or just how companies are doing in general. I also ask that if you have enjoyed it, your friends and family might enjoy it as well and that you please like and share it to your friends or family too so that your friends and family can like and share it and share it with their friends as well. And so that we can keep growing this podcast and be able to keep talking about these events that are happening within the market or at least that should be talked about but are not being talked about by the market. With that being said, guys, I thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. Thank you and goodbye.